This is Pastor Mike from Jordan Lutheran Church, and you're about to hear one of our Sunday morning messages. At Jordan, we're passionate about learning from the Bible and pray that this message makes an impact in your life. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It is Mark. Anyone willing to say you like Mark? Yeah. What's neat is Mark moves swiftly. Uh, if you were falling asleep at different books, and don't tell me if you fell asleep during any of your Bible reading from Genesis to Mark. I don't need to know. But you probably didn't fall asleep to Mark because it's just always happening. If there's anything that happened when you were reading Mark, it was this. It happened so quickly, you almost had to take a pause and reread the previous five verses just because you're like, how did we get from there to here so quickly? How did the action move uh, at that quickly of a pace? Now, as we were gathered in Bible class uh, earlier this morning, I want to make sure that one thing is reminded to you, and it's this. The writer of the Gospel of Mark was not one of the 12 apostles. I did not realize this until very late in my teenage years. This just completely glossed over my head. I was convinced that the four Gospels would, of course, be written by the 12 apostles, and sorry, just the other eight guys didn't have a chance. Uh, but that's not the case at all. Uh, instead, John Mark records this book, and in so doing, we pick some of that up uh, in Acts 12, verse 12, when Peter is released from prison, when he's in bonds. The neat thing is, uh, he actually goes to John Mark's mother's house. Luke tells us that in Acts, he actually goes to the house of John Mark, and that's where he escapes to. So he gets out of prison and goes, where will I go? Where will I be safe? And he goes, I'm going to go to Mary's house, uh, John Mark's mom. I'm going to go there. And that's where he goes. We hear further then, later in Acts 12, that this development uh, is such that Peter's actually going and teaching and talking to John Mark, and you get Paul and Barnabas and John Mark are all traveling together as missionaries. All of these people are gathered together, and they know each other. Sometimes when we look at different books, we keep them separated. You know, like, well, John maybe didn't have a conversation. They all knew each other. Uh, they dialogued. Now you would just know that, well, well, we just connect online. Well, they did something really ingenious. This will blow some people's minds. They actually talked to each other, and get this. They made eye contact. They looked at each other. They had a conversation. And when things weren't clear, they said, hey, could you just say that again? And then they had clarity. Uh, neat things that we could all stand to do a little bit more. Now, last week you heard about Matthew. Now, Matthew was a tax collector. He had an audience that was largely Jewish, and he had a different goal in mind. But now, we've got these different insights. Now, here's the unique thing about each gospel. You get a picture of Jesus from different vantage points. Last week was Matthew, as we said, the, the Jew. But now we get Mark. Now, many of you were real excited last week as we were able to put a sign up. Future home, Jordan Lutheran Church. Some of you drove by this morning, you're just like, hee-hee, a little bit of you smiled. You're like, this is great. Like, things are happening. Well, here's a little background story to putting that sign up. So as we're putting the sign up, uh, one of those great things that uh, pastor's fathers gets to do, my dad was in like, hey, do you want to help? He's like, okay. So we go out, and he didn't realize how hot Apex still would be and others, and his son probably didn't bring enough water. But you can all yell at me for that for another time. But as we're out there putting the sign in the ground, uh, two men come walking by. They come walking by, and they said to us, they said, well, what's, what's going in here? And we said, oh, 
It's a Lutheran church. And they said, oh, Lutheran church, that's great. I like Jesus. Now, my dad, this guy like a heart of gold, my dad looks at me and goes, oh, so are you Christian? Seems like a great question. Two men look at us and said, no, we're Hindus, but we love Jesus. He's a great guy. And we're excited that you're here. We think a Christian church is a good thing to have here because we like Jesus. Now, I bring this up because it's so important that when we talk about Jesus, when we read the Gospels, lots of people, get ready or not, like Jesus. But they have no understanding of who Jesus is and the claims that Jesus makes. So when you read the Gospel of Matthew, and as we focus on the Gospel of Mark this morning, remember the question that's being answered is, who is Jesus? So to those two men, we had a fine conversation. And no, we did not have an on-the-spot conversion. They were just very excited that a Christian church was coming because Jesus' people are good people. Because Jesus was good people. And it's right here, right here in town. So you're like, wow, we got a sign up. People are going to love it. Well, some people just love that you're Jesus followers. They have no idea what that means. Because they have not truly been introduced to Jesus of Nazareth, born king of the Jews, who serves the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who is the Alpha and the Omega himself, beginning and end, who was there when the earth was formed. They don't know Jesus as that. He's just a nice guy. So for us, looking at the Gospel of Mark, we're going to see a transition from Jesus, the man who lived, to Jesus, the man who lived. It's an essential distinction. From Jesus, the man who lived, to Jesus, the man who lives. And in that, the Old Testament also dealt with that challenge. The challenge of resurrection, and even as we heard some of these early accounts as Jesus was speaking, what did Jesus say last week in Matthew? Oh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says, I'm not the God of the dead. I'm the God of the living. And last week, the people thought, whoa. So you're telling me Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are all alive? Yeah. You bet. It's the power of Christ, the power of God within them. So how do we get there to all these questions? How do we move to the challenge and intrigue of who's God and who is he not? Well, I want to take you into Mark 9. So you got your Bible, you got your app, open it up. Let's dive in. Mark chapter 9. It is one of my favorite accounts of Jesus. I know that's a, that's a bold thing to say, but I think it's got a lot to say for us. Mark 9, verse 21 to 24. So you have a father whose son is possessed. Now, you'll get lots of different opinions. What's a possession look like? You know, was it, is it real? Is it not? Could it be medically induced? Is it just a challenge? I met a man uh, earlier in my life when I was just out of college uh, who was very, very skilled uh, working and writing block grants for the entire state of Alaska and had a medical background. Uh, and he made a statement that I thought was a little bold. Uh, but I get his background. He goes, you know, most of the stuff in the New Testament, all those medical conditions, we could fix those demon possessions with medicine. I thought, you know, Bob, that seems like a bold claim. His name was Bob. Uh, I'll leave his last name out. 
just kind of a thought there. I, and again, I'm just like a 21-year-old little pipsqueak, and I'm like, so you know, it's one of those moments where you receive the information from your, the adult, and you try not to agree to it, but acknowledge that you heard it because you're respecting your superior. You know, someone who's older than you respect the authority. I'm like, thank you for sharing words, Bob. I'm so glad that you did. But how quickly it changes all these things of demon possession. Oh, we can just fix that with medicine. I assure you the challenges of demon possession are real. <laughs> I think the great trick that Satan has for us today is what? You can fix it with a pill. Because you can fix all your problems today with a pill or with money or with a grant or, or with other things. And then some of you are looking at me going, Pastor, my issue isn't demon possession, and I've tried lots of pills, and it ain't fixing it. <laughs> some of you are going, third article of the creed, hope of the life of the world to come. You're like, it's going to get better. I know. But let's not, as we look at Mark 9, make this trite and say, oh, we could just fix this. So we go in understanding a real possession, a real challenge. Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening? And speaking of the son. And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. It's an amazing picture of what it is to be a follower of Christ. Jesus, I see what you are saying. I hear it. I've got it. I've watched my parents. I've got the challenge. I'm on board. I have no clue what you just said. That's Mark 9. And here's the joy of what it is to follow Mark's account. This isn't hidden. Mark doesn't hide this detail as if, like, this could be awkward for the church, that a person could live in the tension of belief and unbelief, that a person could have questions about what is God doing. No, it's right out there for us to see. So let's be more honest as a congregation. Let's be more honest as people gathered together. We trust in the work of God, but we don't always understand it. And that we don't always have the words to articulately say what God has done. We do a disservice to our God when we try to answer everything that he hasn't given us the answer to. I assure you he's given you enough to answer all the questions that come to you. But you just have to be comfortable with what God said. <laughs> That's where we all get uncomfortable. Because there's certain things that God said that we just, we get a little squirmy about. Because I can't say that. I, I have to settle it. I, I, I've got to resolve the tension. The tension isn't resolved here. I believe. Help my unbelief. Now, some of you are sitting there going, well, that's not belief. Because that's belief with unbelief. That's belief. I don't even know what you'd call it. And no, belief is not a word. If someone's Googling it, it's not. It's the tension of God's given you what you need, but it's not always everything that you desire or the person you're speaking to desires. See, asking questions uh, can be challenging to us. See, we're afraid how the person may actually answer. See, when you think about your Christian faith and someone starts to challenge you, you might end up with this question. Someone might say, well, 
they're going to think if I'm a follower of Christ, I should know this. They'll think I wasn't listening. They won't invite me to another event. I mean, it's a challenge if I don't know the answer. It's in Bible class when a, a pastor says, hey, does anyone have an opinion? And people all do this. Take their hands and they slide them under their tushies and they sit on them. And they say, I don't want anyone to think I don't have the answer. So I'll pretend I don't have arms anymore and uh, that I, I just, uh, I am frozen. We're afraid to ask questions. We've got to check that at the door. God invites us to ask questions. I believe. Help my unbelief. Now, the disciples are sent out, you may recall, at this point in Mark's gospel. So we continue in Mark 9, verse 28 and 29. So when they'd entered the house, now the events have kind of moved on, but the disciples now go into a house. Isn't this great how Mark includes this? So the disciples asked him privately, meaning I don't want anyone to know this thought's on my mind, and they're asking a question about what just happened with that father and that boy and that demon. Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Now, some of you are going, okay, so what were they doing? I thought God sent them out. Well, it's clear from this text there are some demons that they were not fully prepared and equipped to be able to cast out. They didn't have their entire skill set. How many of you have graduated from high school, college, vocational school, some type of training? You have some certificate that says you graduated, even if it's kindergarten. I'm cool. Like, okay. So you got that certificate, and then you came across a life experience, and you discovered what? I'm not prepared. I don't know what to do. Now, someone says, well, did they not know how to pray? Of course they had known how to pray, but they were trying to use a different thing on there. You guys remember skeleton keys? It's weird that they, they kind of disappear. So at my grandmother's house, there, there were several doors that still had skeleton keys, the whole, like, you know, one key to command them all. Like, they would sit there. The funny part is I can't remember a door in her house that actually used the key. She just had a pile of skeleton keys. So my brother and I would run through the house trying to find which door would do it. Uh, maybe my parents did that intentionally. They gave us keys that weren't. I mean, I guess maybe that is it now that I think about it. It was like for three hours they will run around the house just checking doors, which we did every time, hoping that the mystery key would somehow find itself. Maybe it's just, these are weird moments in my life when I speak it out loud and I realize, that's parenting. Wow, I get it. I get it, all right. Uh, but the disciples' question is this. We didn't have all the skills, but they did something that we struggle to do at times. They went and asked Jesus. They went and asked God, why is it that we didn't have all the skills and all the tools? They were willing to reduce themselves and say, I got a question. Many times today, we aren't willing to take that moment to pause to say we have a question. If we have a question and there isn't a quick answer, we just get, we get angry. We huff, we puff, and we blow the house down. Well, if the church doesn't have an answer for me, ha, I am done with you, church. Pastor, if you don't have an immediate answer that gets everything and it answers all of it, then you're not ready and the Christian church is done, so I'm out of here. And if you think I'm joking, then you haven't engaged with other people in this world because they still live in this magical little land that Jesus is just what? Remember those two men that walked by? He's just a nice guy. Jesus' nice guy also says some very clear things. 
And if you want Jesus just to be nice guy, you've got to understand that nice guy Jesus impacts your life. And who is Jesus is essential to reading Mark, that you have to respond in a way to know what's happening. So responding to the rally of Mark means he isn't just a guy who lives. Jesus is a guy who lives. Now, you're still there in Mark 9. I'm just going to share with you. I'm not going to display it. This is Mark 9, 30 and 31. So we're still in that same chapter. We're hearing the challenge of the disciples. They had questions. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. He was telling them. Now, you'd sit there, and you can sit in your seat today and go, guys, it's Jerusalem. It's going to be Golgotha, place of the skull, three days, rise again. You guys should get these Passover things. You should start to see the sacrificial lamb. John said, lamb of God. You guys have all this stuff flowing over you. And as some of you already read verse 32, didn't you? But they didn't understand the saying, and they were afraid to ask. They were afraid to ask. I don't even want to take the time to ask Jesus, what is this thing? Who are you really? How does all this connect together? They were just too afraid because they were afraid Jesus would look at them and say, you fool, were you not listening to me? Jesus doesn't speak like that. But they're afraid of it. Think of the humanity that you'd have if you were there. Because one of the other disciples is going to say what? The moment you ask your question. Oh, you fool. Didn't you listen to Jesus last night? He had that seminar we were listening to. It was how to respond to demons you can't cast out. Seminar, take two. I mean, just I mean, think of all the, I mean, humans. I was in four days of training from 8 o'clock in the morning till 6 at night this past week. And if there's one thing that's crazy, you just get into overload, right? You guys have been in training like that. You sit there, and then the instructor at like 5.55 goes, all right, well, some of you summarize everything that we've done. And we all are sitting there, and we did what? You guys know this. I mean, don't worry. There's no trick here. What did we do? Oh, yeah, man. We were like, uh. And then the instructor did the worst thing you can do. When I am speaking, you guys need to focus. Like, we all looked at each other. We're like, all right, man, focus was gone at like 4 o'clock in the afternoon, just to be clear. Like, we're all here. We are on dinner. Like, we, I mean, we had checked out. I'm sorry, pastors are humans too, man. We had checked out. But that night, we were all laughing like, whew, finally, we can breathe again. And we're sitting here. They were afraid to ask. See, the other thing we would do is if we had a challenge, at times you'd sit there in the seminar and rather than ask when everyone else goes, don't make her repeat it again. Yeah, see, now you feel that one. They were afraid to ask. See, it's very human. You wonder, like, how could the disciples do that? We do it today. I don't want to ask because, I mean, Jesus has been preaching for like four hours. And if I ask him to explain it again, his sermon might go on for another two and I promised the widow next door we were all going to go help her. And that's kind of what Jesus told us to do. And I promised the widow I'd be there, you know, when the sun kind of crossed the middle of the sky and it's up there. So I'm worried that I'm not going to get to her house. You think I'm joking. Imagine what it is to have your mind wander. The disciples are still human. They were afraid to ask. See, the power of Jesus is not just his life. If that were the case, you and I would have a, a different way of living. Like if it was just about doing everything Jesus did, most of us would have learned to fish, we'd have boats, 
and we'd learn to speak from boats to people fishing or not fishing, and we'd always walk on shoreline, uh, and, and we'd live in different homes. Like, that's not Jesus. It's not live Jesus' life. Jesus has so much more to share with us. See, I'm back to the two men with the sign. We're excited there's a Lutheran church because we like Jesus. I don't want Jordan Lutheran Church to build a facility in town so people can like Jesus. I want us to build a facility in town so people in this community understand that Jesus loves them. And that in loving them, he is changing their life, and by the Holy Spirit, their entire life is transformed. I want people to walk by and be like, man, we like them, but we'll never actually go hear from them. It's realizing God has so much more to do for us. Mark 16, the close of the gospel. Historically, likely, the gospel does end at verse 8. I realize 9 to 20 gives this nice, clear revision to everything, and it wraps up nice and neat like the gospel of Matthew. But the earliest manuscripts have it closed at 8. And sometimes living in tension isn't a bad thing because it lets you know, hey, what happens next? Which you've read enough of Mark now. Mark's always kind of leaving you just want, yeah, wanting more, just this yearning for what happens next. So Jesus has risen from the dead. We pick up here uh, at the tomb. And the person who's there in the grave, this angel who speaks to those who've come to the tomb, he said to them, don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He's risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter. Remember Peter? The doubter, the challenge, the thrice I'm not with him. And imagine this, God sent a messenger, and in sending the messenger, he tells to the person who has doubts and questions, tell all the disciples, and specifically name Peter, because the guy who's going to be aching more than anyone else is Peter. Why? Because he'd be convinced, hey, Jesus said all the disciples should gather together. Peter would have thought what? Well, he meant disciples, and I'm not one of them anymore, because I've denied him. No, the messenger tells very clearly, tell the disciples and Peter. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. Isn't that, isn't that powerful? Trembling and, astonishing, trembling and astonishment at the same time. Like astonishment I get. It's like you have the biggest gift on Christmas morning. Ha ha ha, yes! Trembling. I have not yet found a single gift for me under the tree. Yeah, try to balance that tension trembling and astonishment had seized them they said nothing to anyone they were afraid do you see it we're right back to where we started who is jesus they said nothing they're afraid but you know the rest of the story see mark didn't intend that the christian community would only just read here he knew that there were other stories other accounts he was sharing how do you answer jesus and he leaves it sitting there to remind us that the fear and the trembling is gone because we have a God who comes in Christ, rises and sends his spirit, the same spirit that's on you this day. That though you may be in your seat trembling, though you may be in your seat in astonishment that God could love you. I know some of you actually feel that way. I do at times. I know me. If we're all honest, there's parts of our hearts that even your spouse, brother, friend, cousin do not know about. God does, but you got that part. And you are very good at doing what with that part of your heart? 
yeah, hiding it, covering it, doing anything. But how joyous is it when we cover that part of our heart with the word of God? Because God comes to us and says, I've got you. I am the Alpha. I am the Omega. I am not just a teacher. I am God in the flesh. And when they went and looked to that tomb, they were reminded of what God was doing. The flowers on the altar this morning are from Elizabeth Newell's funeral yesterday. Elizabeth knows in full what you and I know in part. She knows the rest of the story. She now sees the Lord face to face. And like us, the church on earth, as well as the church triumphant, we await the resurrection. Praise be to God. Amen. We're glad you've connected with us online and look forward to the opportunity to see you in person. On behalf of everyone at Jordan, we hope you will join us as we gather in worship of our Savior, Jesus Christ, every Sunday morning at 930 at Beaver Creek Cinemas in the peak of good living, Apex, North Carolina.